Welcome to Marketing Legends, a program within the WVU Marketing Communications Today podcast series. Marketing Legends features marketing thinkers, innovators, practitioners, and founders, legends of the marketing world, who join co-hosts Cindy Greenglass and Ruth Stevens to talk about their careers and share their wisdom with the marketers of today. Thank you for joining us. Cindy, we are so lucky to have the great David Ocker with us today. Wow. My, yeah, I don't know about yours, but my bookshelf is lined with his books on branding. And um, he's been said to have reshaped how we think about brands. And he's also been called a pioneer in linking brand equity to financial performance. These are awesome. topics right up our alley. He went to MIT and Stanford for his PhD, and he's long been on the faculty at Berkeley's Haas Business School. And Cindy, like many of our guests on this Marketing Legends podcast, sure enough, he has a master's degree in statistics. Oh, my. <laughs> yep. Now, David is also the founder, and he's now vice chairman of the influential brand consultancy called Profit. It's based in the Bay Area. And I've used their really well-respected brand relevancy index report in my marketing classes. And isn't it impressive how he's managed to bridge the academic life and the commercial world so sex successfully? Absolutely. So, yeah. So. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining us today. We're just delighted. Glad to be here. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. Um, I, I've been noticing, Ruth and I have had conversations with um, several of the marketing legends and marketing greats, and, and it strikes us as really interesting that um, so many of you um, really well-known greats in marketing came out of finance and statistic backgrounds, which is music to our ears as um, data-driven marketers. Uh, but can you tell us a bit about your journey from statistics to branding? Yeah, I, I, I never had anything to do with finance, uh, although some of my uh, re research did uh, look at the effect of branding on stock return. But um, uh, yeah, I, I started off as a uh, statistician in marketing, and uh, my early work, uh, my thesis, I built a stochastic model of consumer behavior, and and uh, and I ultimately did a lot of uh, multivariate modeling, and uh, in, in particular, I uh, did modeling that linked uh, a branding to stock return or, or a rate of return, and and uh, I built a media model at one point. And uh, so I was uh, kind of an applied statistician. And uh, um, I actually did a book called Multivariate Analysis Marketing, one of my first books. And, and uh, but uh, then I drifted into uh, advertising and a lot of my uh, statistic work was in advertising. I wrote a book on advertising. And then I got into business strategy, and I wrote a book on business strategy. Actually, the the third, the twelfth edition just came out last week, 
Wow. Wow. Strategic market management. And as I got into uh, strategy, I became uh, um, I became the believer that people were too focused on short-term financials and not enough on building assets. So I kind of, and I, I did a little study at that time in which I asked people, what's your sustainable competitive advantage? And I got, I got 30 some results and the three of the top 10 were, were around brand. And uh, so because of my background in strategy, because of my background in, in uh, market research and in advertising, I was kind of in a good situation to, uh, to, to address the problem of the day, which this is the late eighties, the problem of the day was what is brand equity? Uh, at that point, uh, the uh, strategy of many firms was uh, was kind of faltering because it was too focused on cost reduction. Uh, the mark is too focused on market share, too focused on short term measures, and they were destroying brands. And so yeah. people realized we had to uh, build on brands instead of destroy them. And so brand equity became. Uh, a very important, but nobody knew what it was. So I wrote a book called uh, Managing Brand Equity in which I define brand equity. And uh, in my definition, expanded the conventional thinking of the day, which was the brand was awareness and image. Mm, and right. It was something you could delegate to an ad agency. It was basically words and communication. And what I did in my definition was to add brand loyalty to uh what is brand equity and and that kind of really changed things because if you if you add brand loyalty that means that it's not a, no longer just a communications thing you can delegate it's something the whole organization has to do and it's uh it's necessarily strategic because you get into what's the value proposition for the consumer and uh what do you have to do to track loyal uh, customers how what is what do you have to do to keep them and uh, so that kind of changed the perspective, and and that book did uh, did really well, and uh, it struck a nerve, and so people came to me and said, "Well, uh, okay, we buy in. Uh, how do we do it?" Yeah. So I wrote uh-huh. a, a second book called "Building Strong Brands," which was even more successful, and that one right. uh, identified what I called the brand identity model, and. Uh, it's, it told you how to manage a brand. And, and basically, the model has a few tenets. And one is that a brand is multidimensional. It's not just a three-word phrase. That, uh, and it's not just the basis for you to build an advertising campaign. It's, it's got a dozen dimensions or six dimensions, and three or four are the most important. And the second thing is there's no pre-specified boxes you have to fill out. You don't say in advance uh, to have a brand strategy. You need to know your brand personality. You need to know the organizational values. You need to know the attributes, the benefits, and um, the the customer profile, because it it you you develop those dimensions uh, as you need them, as, as it's appropriate for you. And so you have to ask yourself, what do you want your brand to stand for? And whatever the answer to that question, that becomes the boxes you fill in. You create your own boxes. Hmm. And and, uh, so uh, uh, those are really the the 
the two tenets of uh, of of my model, and uh, and you can use a lot of labels and uh, brand identity elements or pillars or brand pillars or uh, call it a brand vision or brand identity, but but those two pillars are are really important, and it it uh, uh, it was it just was motivated by my uh, instinctive impatience and dislike of the agency model where mm -hmm. you develop a three-word phrase a a idea that represents a brand that will drive an advertising campaign i just thought that was so stupid especially if you're in the service or b2b business and mm -hmm. uh, so um anyway that got me into branding and then i wrote a book called brand portfolio analysis which i i i talked about the fact that all brands are a part of a family and you need to have them work together and uh, and you have branded energizers, branded differentiators, you have sub-brands, you have endorsed brands, you have master brands, and you have to understand that whole system and make it work together. And that book is might be my most important book because it, it's virtually the only book that in, ever written that does that. Mm. Uh, most other uh, books are considered the portfolio is kind of a uh, a nuisance and you you jump right into managing a brand and uh, and then i uh uh wrote a book on brand leadership which kind of updated the brand identity model and after that my successive books maybe eight or nine of them have have applied branding to important strategic issues like for example my last book uh, uh, says what's branding got to do with social programs? It's hmm. called the, the the book's called the Future of Purpose Driven Branding, and uh, the book before that talks about branding and disruptive innovation and how important it is that in, in disruptive innovation, all these books uh, by uh, Christensen and by uh, the the NCED people, Blue Ocean, is uh, uh, they don't mention branding. And, and that's just crazy because branding is so important to making disruptive innovation working. And so then I wrote a book on creative or signature stories, how important stories are to break through the, the clutter and information overload we face today. Uh, but in, 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 and then I wrote a book on spanning silos. And uh, we got all these silos that are inhibiting branding and other things from working. Um and then, uh, and so w what I've done with those books really is to uh, apply branding to really important strategic marketing and business uh, decision making. Wow, that's quite a library you've produced. I'm really impressed. And I, I wanted to ask you about the purpose-driven branding book, if if I may, because this has become quite a buzzword in the last couple of years. In fact, um, given when you published the book or certainly when you were conceiving and writing it, you were probably early in or the trend driver here. But I, I'm wondering, do you think that marketers really understand the value of brand purpose? And are they doing purpose-driven branding right, in your opinion? No, I don't think so. There's there's uh, two elements. One, it's been quite accepted thanks to an article by uh, Michael Porter and a colleague um, mm -hmm. and others that you really want to have 
social programs that help the business. And if you read Porto's uh, Harvard Business Review article of about 12 years ago, he talks about helping business it by uh, reducing its cost, by giving it a, uh, a lever to find a growth a strategy, which works fine if you make windmills, but not many people make windmills. But anyway, uh, th there's no mention on using the social program to help the business brand and therefore help the business. And yet, uh, the business brand needs uh, energy. It, it needs uh, differentiation. It needs engagement. And for most companies and most offerings, they just, their offering can't deliver that. Hmm. And so they need a social program. You look at a Dove, they make uh, soap and related products, and they came up with a real beauty program. Right. And that, that increased their sales from 2.4 billion to six and a half billion. And it was all driven by a social program that gave it energy, it gave differentiation, gave it engagement. And so um, you, uh, uh, so that really uh, it, it takes a whole different slant on how you help a business. And, and what I'm saying in my book is that you need to help it think about through the brand because that works for every company, not just those people that make windmills or those people that need to reduce costs. The second uh, element to all this is that if that companies are really jumping on the bandwagon of doing social good, mm -hmm. it's hard to find a company, large or small, that's not devoting real resources to that. But if you look at what they're actually doing, they usually have a, a grant program, giving grants to nonprofits. They usually have a volunteer program. Their employees get three days off or something. They mm -hmm. usually have energy goals. They'll have, and well, they'll have a hundred things, you know, changing light bulbs, changing routes of trucks and to, to get meet energy goals. And then they have ESG reports, which is usually got three dozen uh, dimensions like increase the number of minorities on your board or something. And, and all this is just uh, appears to be uh, unfocused. It appears to be um, uh, almost cynical and it appears to be the same as everybody's doing it. And uh, it, there's nothing to say that you're really passionate about helping the world be better. And so again, the role of branding is uh, to do that. What I advocate is you develop a signature social program like the Real Beauty Program or Thrive and Adopted Habitat for Humanity. So that's their signature program. And, and uh, you use that signature program or a set of signature programs to, be, to carry the flag, to represent your passion, to represent what you do and to create um, uh, energy for your for your brand and your business to create engagement for your brand and for your business, and uh, in most cases, uh, they they the business cannot do it any other way. That is such good advice. I hadn't really considered. I'd like to ask you, David, um, if you're a small business, or let's even take something like a manufacturing small mid-sized business. Some of the feedback we get is, well, that's all good purpose-driven branding for the big, you know, the big guns, the the Fortune 1000, the Global 3000s, big firms. H how can you apply this if you're, you know, a window manufacturer in 
you know, in a in a regional company in part of the United States. Uh, how do they take these fantastic concepts and apply them when they think that they're too small and, gee, my product is is really not functionally purpose driven? Well, uh, I, nothing changes with with your size. Uh, you still have the same opportunity, the same challenge. And uh, so what you have to do is you have to find a um, an entity that you can attach yourself to. And, um, it, you know, if you don't have to build it yourself, you can you can find a nonprofit that works for you. And then and then you got to remember your goal is not to uh, is, is not to uh, communicate to the whole world. Your, your goal is not to communicate to everybody. You're you want to communicate to your customers and those that are potential customers. That's who, that's all you care about. So if you're a regional company, you don't have to communicate to the whole United States, just within that region. So you take Thrivent, for example, which is a major financial services company that adopted about 17 years ago Habitat for Humanity. Uh -huh. and, and and they're they have this uh, customer membership network and they have two million customers they're all in this network they're they're organized by zip code and uh and so uh these two million uh customers in their little local units they they look for social programs to uh to to address and about half their effort goes into habitat for humanity so they they volunteer. I mean, everybody there knows somebody that's volunteered, or they volunteer themselves. They've gone to Africa to build homes, and they participate in fundraising for Habitat. And so the the point is that, uh, but Thrivent gets so much energy, so much differentiation, so much energy lift, image lift, so much engagement from Habitat for Humanity. But it, it it's 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 pretty much restricted to their 2 million customers and 50,000 employees. It's not widespread. It's not, uh -huh. it, it, it's not, you, most people, uh, you know, even if they've heard of Thrivent, they didn't know they were doing anything with Habitat, but that's okay. Uh, the 2 million customers and, and their family and friends, they know that Habitat is part of the, the values of Thrivent, which is represented by their slogan, give generously. Yeah. So it, but so if you're a small company, you gotta realize, you know, what are your customers interested in? What what uh will will they be sort of uh uh connected to if you got involved? And so you might pick some sort of local nonprofits or a a, a genre of local nonprofits, you know, think of Avon Walk for Best Cancer. Hmm. It, not, it had nothing to do with Avon products, and yet it gave them so much visibility and energy. Right. Excellent decision. Great. Great example. So speaking of examples, you've been consulting to companies for many years. Could you give us an example of how one of your clients or another company has been particularly successful in applying your branding principles for business success? Well, the Cosmopolitan Hotel in, uh, in Las Vegas uh, created a whole new uh, personality and, and 
a whole new way of uh, of uh, having a hotel experience, and uh, so we we designed that from the ground up before it was even constructed, and and created a, a spa and, and everything. Well, in my in my book, there's so many examples of of custom of things that have done well and. In my sure. disruptive disruptive innovation book, for example, I talk about uh, how Amazon created a uh, a whole new uh, a model by uh, uh, by sort of expanding, being the the everybody's go to place for everything. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then I also talk in the book how there's six kinds of companies that have found a way to compete with Amazon despite their power. And they've done it by finding a, uh, a, a brand strategy that differentiates them from Amazon and provides uh, benefits and attributes that Amazon can't provide. And, uh, uh, and then I mentioned Thrivent, I mentioned Dove, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I've been it, to that it, Cosmopolitan it, Hotel. That is a very unique experience. I mean, it really does stand out. You figure in Vegas, so many of the hotels and so many casinos, they're all the same. It's like, where do you mm. stay in Vegas? Stay at any of them. They're all going to give you uh, an experience. But it is very unique. I, I, yeah. would, uh, I would definitely agree with you there. They did a good job creating something truly unique there. So that, congratulations. Uh, yeah, congratulations. Um, have you seen over time... David, you know, the Acker model that's um, been with us and has, you know, stood the test of time for decades, and we're so thrilled that it does have such staying power. Have you um, seen it change with so many changes going on now? Are you tweaking it? Do you find that it's had to adapt in any way? Well, I did. Uh, I, when I first did the model, I didn't have any sort of central theme to the brand. Because I was so interested in 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 killing off this three word phrase, <laughs> and uh, but when that we wrote a book called Brand Leadership that that revised the model and did add a brand essence, and it turns out if you do have the right brand essence, it can really really help you. And uh, so I I did add that, but I think that the the fundamentals of the of the thing that it's a brand is multi dimensional. And it doesn't have pre-specified dimensions. Those, uh, I think, have uh, really been accepted by uh, by a lot of a lot of firms now. And uh, actually, my building strong brands model has is it, from the beginning when it was published had a lot of adherence. So there's a lot of people that are using uh, using the model. But again, a lot of the terminology. <laughs> Can be different from company to company, but the the principle of multidimensional and prioritize the dimensions and and don't have them pre-specified, um, I think it, have have proved to be um, pretty acceptable. Great that that you can really take a lot of satisfaction in making that contribution. Thank you. Now, one of the things I. Uh, done with the concept of brand uh, equity, I used to have four dimensions, one of which was brand quality. And there was awareness, uh, brand quality, uh, brand image, and loyalty. 
But uh, now I sort of collapse that into image. And awareness, now I talk about relevance instead of awareness. So uh, awareness to me, I mean, well, relevance, I mean, yeah, relevance to me, which is the first dimension of brand equity, is uh, is visibility, which is basically awareness, but it's also, mm-hmm. it's also credibility. So to be relevant for me is that, you have to be considered. And to be considered, you not only have to be visible, you have to be credible. And that means there, there, there can't be a reason not to buy or not to think about this brand. And uh, uh, it, it has to meet some threshold. But yeah, they could probably do the job. It doesn't mean they're, they're going to get the job or they're going to be preferred, but it's brand relevance. I wrote a whole book on brand relevance, and, and it's the basis of my disruptive innovation book, which is owning game-changing subcategories as well. And the whole idea is that the way to grow these days and the way to win and grow is not to be preferred. My brand is better than your brand just doesn't generate growth. What does generate growth is to create a whole new subcategory to engage in disruptive innovation, to create what I call must-haves that define a new subcategory. And, uh, uh, and, and so, uh, uh, and, so anyway, that 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 comes down to the first dimension of brand equity, you know, which is brand relevance. And the idea is there's there's two ways to win. You make your brand preferred in an existing category, or you make your brand uh, the only brand that's relevant or the brand that's most relevant in a new category. And and uh, so anyway, brand equity to me now mm-hmm. is 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 brand relevance. It's brand energy, which includes not only um, uh, cognitive uh, elements, but it also emotional has an emotional side, and uh, and then loyalty, which is uh, sort of brand engagement and uh, uh, and sort of uh, ability to have a brand that people will talk about. So, do you think these principles are going to? stand the future test of time, David. What what worries me is that the world seems to be changing so fast and we're all, you know, glomming on to AI now, but there are so many other huge changes in consumer behavior and marketing tactics, what with social media and influencer marketing and <clears throat> It feels like the world ha- is changing so fast. We as marketers have trouble keeping up. Where, where, where do you think we need to be thinking over the next couple of years, next decade? Well, first of all, my book on disruptive innovation, changing game ch- or creating game-changing subcategories, is. Um, is so more important than ever because because of these dynamics, you have opportunities and the emergence of these new subcategories and existing firms are becoming less relevant or unre- uh, irrelevant and or what if what the, or the word is in any way uh, uh, so these markets makes you you really have to be the uh, disruptive innovator and if you're not, you've got to be on top of it and to be able to stay relevant. In, in that dynamic marketplace. So it, it means that this whole idea of, of uh, 
understanding branding and disruptive innovation is so important. You need a if you engage in disruptive innovation, you need a brand that will define the new subcategory. You need a brand that will scale it, and you need a brand that will create barriers to others. And and uh, so that's more and more important. That that's one thing. The second thing is that uh, you know we we lived with the Procter and Gamble brand management model for uh, for over a half a century, and that was all based on. You look at the data, you find out problem areas, and you solve them with promotions or price reductions or better distribution or whatever. And it's very uh, driven by short-term uh, uh, sales signals. It's very driven by tactical things. And, uh, and it lasted into the 80s. And then, and then brand equity came into the picture. And it, it sort of uh, it advanced quite quickly. And uh, so you think, well, by now we've got, you know, brand is no longer managed by an ad agency or a mid-tier manager. It's managed by the CMO or the vice president of marketing. And they're at the executive table and everybody's involved in brand because it's strategic. It, I'm continually uh, uh, made aware that, you know, the battle is, is not over. We can't declare victory because the the power of short-term financials within an organization uh, is so uh, so present, especially if there's yeah. a, a weakness or a downturn. All of a sudden, you know, you you have a, a you know a social program that's doing a lot of good for you, and Google kills it because they had a downsize, and mm. uh, and and they they felt that it was a. a a dead drain on their business. And so they, mm -hmm. they stopped it. This is Google, which is a pretty wealthy company. And so you, uh, you, you, I'm continually reminded that, uh, that we can't, you know, be under the illusion that the battle is over, that short-term financials have gone away. Mm, short-term financials point. are either, uh, still in the forefront or lurking. And so, right. uh, that's what yeah. Wall, Wall Street requires of us. Program that you, you need to have a senior social program that helps the business brand and, and so forth. I mean, if you're talking about Dove, uh, Dove they, they have real beauty is their strategy. Yeah. And you don't say, oh, times are bad. Let's cut back on our real beauty program <laughs> because right. it is the strategy. And, and so... And at, at Thrivent, they wouldn't dump the habitat when things are tough because it's so important to their uh, their connection to their their to their customers. Thank so anyway, uh, if if you are that, you know, if you've gone that route, then you you know you don't have to worry about the uh, the short term financials lurking in the shadows. So what do you what do you say to young people today who are looking to build their careers, enter business? Do you have a set of advice that you're handing out? Well, I have a friend that advocates that they shouldn't uh, look to to what they're passionate about, but they should look to see what they're good at and mm. what people value. Passion can come from a hobby or passion can come later, but figure out what you're good at and uh, in what people value. That's one thing. And, and in that spirit, uh, I think that 
one avenue for marketing majors in in school is uh, is social media because even today that uh, the senior executives are petrified about <laughs> social media and its dynamic nature and its power. And uh, so uh, uh, the fact is that that you have, uh, if you are into that at all, you are going to have something to add. And uh, that'll be something people value. That's great advice. Spectacular advice. And um, Professor David Acker, we're so fortunate to have had you for so long to share your insights and the multitude of uh, content from, from all these books. It's, um, it's just been a pleasure to, I know our listeners will be thrilled uh, to share this with their, with on their social media as well. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. My pleasure. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Legends, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. The WVU Reed College of Media's online programs is honored to host these amazing guests who have helped make marketing what it is today. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to hear previous discussions, listen to the Marketing Horizon series, subscribe to receive updates, as well as learning more about the renowned WVU Marketing Communications online programs.